Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with a professor, Sean Clayton. And welcome to Schooled with a Professor. I tell you what, we're closer to the trade deadline, which, of course, is on Tuesday, November 3rd, and the chance to you know see how the transactions go. But there's a transaction that just happened very recently that I'm so happy about because Michael Yam, who was on the Pac-12 Network, now is on NFL Network. Of course, with the NFL Network, thank heavens, Thursday night football is back after the strange pairing last week where there's no Thursday night. I had such a void because, uh, you know, the games were moved. That Kansas City-Buffalo game was moved. And so Michael Yam on the NFL Network. And so, Michael, first off, congratulations. And talk about how this all happened that you got on the NFL Network. Yeah, John, I can't thank you enough for having me on. And, and I, man, I think back, you know, it's funny knowing that I was going to come on the show with you and I've been able to come on your radio show a couple of times over the last few seasons or so. It's always just crazy to me because I think back to the first few radio shows that I did at ESPN Radio where I was your co-host. It just, you know, kind of this full circle event and you were always just so kind to me back in the day. So I really appreciate you having me on now and the, uh, and the good vibes that you sent my way. But yeah, it's, look, I mean, Johnny, you, you kind of know how this business mm-hmm. works. It is, it, it's, it's a really rough time for a lot of people. And it's not just sports media. I think there's a lot of people right now in our country that are dealing with the unemployment, you know, trying to figure out what their next steps are going to be. So, so grateful for, you know, the nine years that I was at Pac-12 Network, but because of financial reasons, you know, my contract wasn't renewed and, you know, kind of felt like I was in a little bit of scramble mode, but you, you know this, man, the relationships that you have with different people and knew some folks from ESPN that were at NFL Network and, and things kind of came together and they were able to carve out a little piece for me, you know, and I'll be doing some news anchoring for them. And, and just honestly, I'm, I'm over the moon just because you go from Pac-12 Network where I, I had so much fun with that group. And then all of a sudden to land at a place like the NFL, it's just, it really is a dream. You know how powerful that shield is. You've spent your whole life covering this league. You know it as well as anyone. It is, uh, it's a really great opportunity. Yeah, it really is. And of course, I mean, we're even going to see the impact of it even bigger now with the World Series uh, ending and the Dodgers winning. And then now it's like, okay, it's all football all the time. And, you know, it's it's amazing to say, you know, it's like, you know, they talk about some of the ratings in the NFL being down 10%. But of course, you know, understanding that some of those, you know, were lost to the election. Some of those were lost yep. to uh, what's going on with the NBA and the baseball and everything else. But now, except for college football, it's a clear path for the NFL. And watch how the, uh, the, the you're going to see the ratings are going to be because it's a fascinating year in the sense that everybody loves football. Couldn't agree with you more. And it's funny because when sports were slowly starting to come back online there, there was a lot of reports about, you know, the NBA ratings going down. And the first thing I thought of, John, is one of the things that you just made reference to, the election. And I know on from just my personal viewing habits, I've been taking in a little bit more news during this COVID era than I had in previous years. But with all eyes on the election that's around the corner where we're kind of squaring in just a few days away before that things. And hopefully everyone who's listening to your, to your podcast right now is going out there and, and, and voting and, and at least having their opinions and, and their feelings heard by, by using that power that we all have um, in this country. But you're right. I think the NFL is all eyes now will be on, on this sport. I felt like there was a fractured audience because of the NBA, despite the fact that the games are great baseball coming back. I mean, heck we saw some NHL hockey as well. I think the one thing the NFL has going for it is not only has it become, in a lot of ways, sort of religion for our, our country, but, you know, on the weekends, my my God, I mean, you know, with, with some of the shelter-in-place things and being home, 
the amount of focus that this board is going to have over the next few weeks leading into that Super Bowl, I think is going to be immense, uh, coupled with college football, where we're seeing, you know, delays and postponements and, you know, that that fan base, while as passionate, I think, as any, um, you know, has had to deal with the idea of COVID really wreaking havoc on their sport. And while we've had some some juggling of the schedule, John, you know, generally speaking, the NFL, I think, has done a marvelous job with, with what we're seeing in terms of the product and the safety on the field. Oh, yeah, no doubt because again, I mean, you know, because everybody says, oh, they've got to put everybody in a bubble. Well, it's like you're not talking, yeah. you know, baseball <clears throat> where you have, you know, what, thir- 28 or 30 players and, you know, a handful of coaches and all that stuff. I mean, you're talking, you know, 69 players, and pra- including practice squad. You're talking over 20 coaches. You're talking front office yeah. people, everything else. I mean, you can't have a bubble that's going to be, you know, multiple. It's got to be in your own city. And I know that if there's going to be a uh, any kind of an outbreak like we saw in Tennessee, the next move is that there will be a bubble, but it's going to be the team hotel in the city that the team is playing. Yeah, I think, you know, and I think you make a great point because people were talking about, hey, the NFL, how are they going to get a season going? You know, it's not going to be safe for them. The NBA has and the WNBA has done it right. They've had the bubble. They haven't had any positive um, COVID tests. It just it's a numbers thing, right? Like, I don't I agree with you there. I don't know how you can execute something along those lines. And you're right about that. What happened and that breakout in Tennessee. But generally speaking, John, just based off of the numbers associated with every single team that you made reference to. Aren't you surprised like the numbers haven't even been more significant? Because I know I've been, you know, those first few weeks there was zero positive tests that were there. And I'm like, wow, like this is really, this is a great thing. But Mm -hmm. I think when you look at uh, the frequency of testing, um, the maturity that I think comes with NFL players who are certainly a concern with their health and well-being, but understanding sort of the times and the dynamic that that we're facing right now in a global pandemic, specifically what's happening in our country, I, I think I think it's a testament to the organizations kind of putting the hammer down, saying, look, guys, like we need to take this seriously. Um, and I'm glad to see the NFL kind of taking that strong stance when it comes to face masks on the sidelines. You know, like there is something to be said. I don't like wearing a mask. I do it because I think it's respectful to people around me. And I'm also trying not to get sick. And, you know, God forbid I have something. I don't want to give it to someone else. So I do think the messaging from the league has been really effective and once again, I know that you're seeing these little, uh, you know, positive tests and, and the outbreak that we saw in Tennessee. But generally speaking, I actually thought it was going to be worse. So I think that, that we're kind of in a in a good good place right now. Well, and of course, you know what a numbers geek I am. Uh, oh, yeah. you know, what I end up doing uh, is I even have a, a a database on all the COVID positives and everything else. And so, you know, I was going under the apprehension coming into training camp, there was going to be 150 players that were going to test positive. Okay. Figuring, okay, they've been out and about. They've not had an off-season program where they've you know been anywhere near the team. And so they come in, and I figure it's 150. Well, it turned out there was only 56. Okay, then yeah. you know yeah. you you look at it, and there, there's been a bunch of players like yeah, what 12 or 13 uh, practice squad players in Jacksonville. You know they were in quarantine, but as on the COVID list, but they didn't test positive. And so you know what you what I'm looking at right now is that you know. Other than the the breakout with the Tennessee Titans, there's been like an average of seven or eight positive tests for players a week. That's pretty good. And that's it. Then it says the protocols are stronger. I think you can see that they keep adjusting and making it tougher because, you know, now, for example, you look at the trade deadline. It's different than any trade deadline before, because if you pick up a player in a trade on a Tuesday and, of course, it ends next Tuesday, you know, that player is not going to be able to play this week because he needs six days to go through 
COVID's testing and then be cleared to be able to go on the roster. And so, uh, you know, <clears throat> that, that precaution. And then, you know, the next phase is going to be for if a team that's not good, and you're going to see this coming up. We saw it, you know, a little, the Giants celebrating a little bit after they lost and had a little bit of a party in a restaurant. Uh, you know, the losing teams, the have-nots, you know, may have some players that, you know, aren't as protective of their own teammates because <laughs> they figure they're not going to be with their teammates next year. That could be a problem. But overall, to go eight weeks into the season, and once they completed that Tennessee-Pittsburgh game, all the games have been played, that's excellent. Yeah, I think it's off the charts. And I think when you look at, and speaking of some of those numbers, you know, the positivity rates in different areas of the country are hitting, you know, double digits. And that's not a positive by any stretch because you're talking about, you know, the second wave, some would argue that we're still kind of in that first wave and we haven't even hit that. But um, just knowing where some of these teams are located in metropolitan areas all over the entire country and seeing sort of that heat map on where those COVID positivity numbers are coming from. Like I'm with you hundred percent. The fact that every game has been played and the number of positives have been relatively low. I think you just got to go two thumbs up and just say, Hey, like this is a win for the NFL. It's a win for fans. And I'm not saying it's a model moving forward, but you know, once again, look at what's happening on the college front. Like I think both, the college football and the NFL, are, I, I would imagine, are taking notes and, and kind of learning from each other in terms of protocol and adjusting that protocol um, specifically around some of the situations where different teams are located. I mean, prime example, the Big Ten Conference, you know, when you get that positivity, you're you're sitting out for an extended period of time. Now, you're not seeing that as much in the NFL. I think the Big Ten had said, uh, I think, up to 21 days, if I'm not mistaken, but it was at least two weeks. So, um, you know, everyone's doing it a little bit differently, but once again, follow the science and, and hopefully you net out with low numbers and we get to actually watch some games. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk about some of the games and all that stuff. Uh, yeah. you know, and I know this is coming from NFL Network uh, Research. You know, They researched the numbers, and this was incredible. Uh, they said that uh, numbers like this have not been posted offensively since the 1961 AFL. We are seeing a completely wow. different brand. And this comes from you know, your network now, that, uh, and it's at total 100% accurate. Numbers we're seeing now are unlike anything since the AFL. How much fun has it been to watch yeah. some of these games, right? And I think, and John, I mean, you've been covering the NFL for, for I mean, longer than I've been alive. And not that I want to date you by any stretch, but I think from a credibility standpoint, understanding how much football you've seen in your lifetime, I think one of the, the fascinating things for me, and it's one of the coolest things now being part of NFL Network, is I'm watching these NFL games really closely. The influence that I've seen over the last almost 10 years covering college football um, in the Pac-12 conference, the influence of that college game now in so many ways almost becoming a standard in the NFL. Um, I'd also argue, and I don't know if you feel this way, John, but I think it's it's becoming increasingly more difficult to play elite defense um, on Sundays just based off of some of the rules and some of the calls that different players go to get. But I'm not surprised that the offensive numbers are up. Um, and we're also seeing – you know, a different type of athlete that, that is now playing football. Um, you know, John, like, you, you know this, man, like, you know, how many guys look like Kyler Murray that mm-hmm. were able to do what, what Kyler's been able to Like, that didn't, like, I, I think back to when my, first, when my career first started and, and being around the NFL, my God, like, I don't remember dudes that look like him that were able to move like that. I mean, it was like a one-off, right? Now we're seeing the, the Murrays and the Patrick Mahomes of the world. Lamar Jackson have that type of success where, 
you know, like what, 15, 20 years ago, it was, it was Michael Vick who was that outlier. Like you don't have like one or two of those dudes. And I think from an athletic standpoint, what we're seeing at that position specifically explains in a lot of ways why the offensive numbers are up. Yeah, and of course, I mean, here's one that I, I kind of researched myself. Uh, part of it was with the NFL. They put this out on Sunday night. But uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you the common theme after I tell it to you. There have been 22 double-digit comebacks this year. Okay, the last time a year like this happened was 2011 when there was 21 and the record for the first seven weeks of the season was 23. And that was set back in 1987. So you know what the theme of that is? 87 was replacement year. Things were not normal in the NFL. 2011 was the lockout year where there was no offseason program. And then this year, of course, you're seeing uh, you know, the comebacks, no offseason program and no preseason games. So I guess when you have a season that's just different, you know, there's going to be different subtleties. And that's one that now is a subtlety in the sense that uh, you know, comebacks are for real. That's wild to me because you would imagine, and we saw it earlier this season with a lot of those injuries, um, you know, week two, saw a little bit in week uh, three as well. But generally speaking, you think about not being able to play some of those preseason games. It's the first thing that I would point to and say, hey, like that's going to be a ramification of not having your regular uh, off season and training camp getting ready for the start of the season. I don't. I don't know what it is specifically, John. Maybe you have a theory behind it as to why having a difference in the preparation for the season or just it being nuanced would equal some of these comebacks. Um, Like I'm just trying to think off the top of my head what that correlation is. I mean, clearly there's something to be said, and there is some meaningful data surrounding those outlier seasons and differences that we see in terms of those results. But I'm just trying to figure out now, like, you know, knocking on the door week eight, why is it we're getting comebacks because the off-season conditioning um, scenario was different than in previous years? Like, that's a wild thing for me to try to piece together in my head. Well, part of the reason is that uh, the way that the games are officiated, because, you know, the way it is right now, you're getting maybe 1.3 or 1.4 holding calls a game. And what that does, it gives the quarterback a chance to stay in a rhythm because he's not fighting those drive killers, which is, you know, first and 15 or first and 20 and uh, first or second and 15 and that. So they're not getting those drive killers. Secondly, quarterbacks now have the ability to run around a little bit more because there's more mobile quarterbacks and there's more motion in the offense and that gives the teams the chance to uh, do better on offense and then the other thing is is that uh, you know you just have so much ability with limited penalties to score points one of the things that i i always did back at espn and i still do now i always looked at each crew and I would take each crew and I would total up the number of holding penalties and the number of penalties, period, because the ones that called the fewest usually had the highest scoring games. Now, purposely, I didn't put that online or say that on the air because, you know, the gamblers would have gobbled all that stuff up because, again, it's like, yeah. you, it's like oh, we got this official. We're going for the over. And it usually does work. Yep. But it's okay. like that that has led to more offense. And then the other thing which I'm now studying this week is, you know, the impact of all, you know, COVID's testing and injuries on defense. Because, again, this is the most injured year in NFL history. You know, with injuries up like 25, missed starts up 25 to 30 percent. But also so many guys are on defense that have this happening and so now you have lesser defenses for talent professor just continue to teach 
<laughs> I'm supposed I'm like your guest and you're you're filling me in on on all this stuff which is fantastic cuz I'm with you. I'm sort of that numbers geek as well and love hearing some of the uh some of the data that that supports some of the things that we're seeing on the football field. But I you know and especially in that DraftKings era that we're mm-hmm. now currently in John you you'd, you'd make a killing giving out some of this advice. Yeah. Well, here, now, going from the network standpoint, of course, this is going to be an interesting one-year period because network contracts are going to be renegotiated. And I, this is, yeah. I'll ask for your opinion on this. Don't you get the feeling because of the limited number of cap room that's going to be available, there's almost a guarantee that next year there's going to be a 17th game added to the schedule? Yeah, I look, I mean, this has been one of those debated topics and one of those hot topics, especially when you talk about, you know, the preseason games and from the players perspective. And my God, I've talked to enough players over the last couple of years or so that would tell you how much they dislike some of those matchups. And given the choice, you know, they'd rather play an actual game than some of those preseason ones and, and you know, practices being a little bit easier for them. Uh, during the course of the year to kind of make sure that their bodies are intact. But I'm with you from a financial standpoint. It's hard to imagine, John, there not being that extra game. Uh, and I think, look, ratings aside, which I know is sort of the counter argument here and, and the numbers being at least a little bit down and, and for a lot of reasons that we could point to, I think what we had started talking about on this podcast about viewership that we imagined is going to go up, you know, especially because there's no real competition now in terms of other sporting events, you know, John, there's huge appetite. Like who's not watching on a Sunday? And, you know, I, I think about even casual fans that in an era where, you know, they're concerned about going outside of their homes and interacting in social settings. And even when they do interact in social settings, like, Things, you know, it, it's an anchor socially, these NFL games. And if you're a Steelers fan and Ravens, like, who's not going to watch that matchup? You know, and like your favorite player that's out there. And even in the days where your team's not performing all that well, like there is still this I, this social element that's there. And I think with the extra game, it just makes sense from a financial standpoint. Um, and I think there's still an appetite for it. No doubt about it. Where do you stand? Because I don't think I've seen a year like this where there's more haves and have-nots. Because literally, you have maybe, except for some teams in the NFC East, you have maybe 10 teams that are almost going to be guaranteed not to make the playoffs, not officially eliminated, but all but eliminated in the next two weeks. John, I'll be honest with you, it's kind of disappointing from that perspective, right? And I grew up in the Northeast in in New Jersey, and I was a Giants fan growing up. And, you know, a lot of friends that are Jets fans, and I'm still getting the text messages on the weekends, especially because I had an up-close-and-personal look at at Sam Darnold when he was at USC for those seasons. And, And by the way, I still think Sam is a great quarterback that can have success at the NFL level. You know, The Jets have had some issues, and I, I think some of the talent around him haven't. He hasn't been necessarily put in a position for success, but, you know, I, it's, it's disappointing. You know, one of the coolest things about the NFL is this idea of parity and teams that, you know, any given Sunday, you know, kind of that phrase, anything can happen. And yet I, I think you see some of that. And we can reference once again all those comebacks that, that that have happened this season compared to previous seasons. But at the same time, like I think we look at some of the matchups and go, you know what? Like they're not going to win this football game. And to me, that's a little disappointing. That's there. But at the same time, like I look at some other teams that have had some injuries where you think, hey, maybe things would be a little different for them. You know, and look, I, I think a good example is you know the San Francisco 49ers, the success that they had a season ago. And granted, you know they're certainly still in the mix, and they're not like you know 
doing what the Jets are doing or, or even the Giants, you know, sitting at four and three right now. And I, I do think it's a tough matchup with Seattle that they have coming up. But, you know, is there another team, John, in the NFL that you could point to and go, oh, my God, like they're the walking wounded that's out there. And I do think that there's the, the injuries that we have made reference to, I think, do explain why there is that, that distinction between the haves and the have-nots. Michael Yam, the big thing is I'm so thankful that the Pac-12 Network has given you opportunity now to get on the NFL Network. It's great to be back with you in the NFL. Michael, thanks for joining us on School with the Professor. You're the best, John. I can't thank you enough for the invite. And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with the Professor.